Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. So as I said, today we're up to part two of our series called Transformed. One of the key texts is from 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Friends, what does it look like to live a transformed life, to be transformed into the image of Jesus? How does God actually make that possible? Well, today I want to revisit a really important teaching, and I've done this a number of occasions over the uh, course of the life of this church. And it's actually unpacking one of the names that the Apostle Paul gives to Jesus when he calls Jesus the second man or the last Adam. So today we're going to look at the second man. We're going to look at how Jesus lived his life as a man, because there is so much that we can learn from the life of Jesus as a man that shows us what it is to truly live as a Christian, to live as people transformed into his image. So what kind of man was Jesus? As we look at the life of Jesus as a man, I think we can actually redefine what it is to be a Christian because generally we describe a Christian as someone, well, they've responded to Jesus, they've been forgiven of their sins, they've received eternal life in the place of death. But let's think about this a little bit differently this morning. And to go there, I want us to think about this from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, I want to suggest that being a Christian is actually being a normal human being. Now, I'm saying normal, not typical. But from God's terms of reference, normal, normal as every human being was intended to be normal. But as we know, in consequence of the fall, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, now we're no longer normal. We, we carry a sin nature. But that wasn't what God intended. And so we live in this fallen state. And that fallen state is actually a condition that we might call subnormal. But because it's all we know in the natural, we consider subnormal to be normal. So. When we talk about normality, we usually consider it to be abnormality. So uh, stay with me. If you, if you take the condition that you find yourself in now, which scripture tells us is subnormal, and you then see someone who is normal from God's perspective of normality, which is what Jesus was, we consider Jesus to be abnormal. Now, the Bible describes Jesus in a variety of different ways. And one of the ways is described in 1 Corinthians 15 and 47 is as the second man. 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. Now, this is a really bit confusing. First, second man, there have been billions of men that have lived on the face of the earth. But in Paul's description, he's actually contrasting Jesus with the first man earlier in verse 35. He speaks of Jesus being the last Adam in contrast to the first Adam. Paul is saying here that Jesus is the second man in that he is the second man as God had intended all men to be. Adam was the prototype of normality, but as the result of something going wrong, 
The human race now finds itself in a fallen state that can only be described as subnormal from God's terms of reference. Now, Jesus comes onto the scene and Paul describes him as the, 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 the second man, uh, the last Adam, another man as God intended all men to be, another man who demonstrates normality from God's point of view. So we're going to look at how Jesus lived his life as a man so that we can learn for, from him about what it takes to be a real human being from our creator's perspective. Now, some of these things might be a little bit surprising, but I think they're going to be tremendously encouraging to us as we want to learn to live in expectation of what, what, what God wants to do in and through us as his disciples, living those transformed lives. Now, let me anticipate an objection. Well, you can't consider Jesus as normal because Jesus was God. Now, that's really true. The Bible tells us that Jesus is co-equal in deity with God and with the Holy Spirit. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And John lets us know in the opening statement of his gospel that the subject of his gospel is Jesus, and He is co-equal with God. Colossians 1 and 16, also speaking of Jesus, says, For by Him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him is before all things and in him all things hold together. So no question, Jesus is pre-existent to everything and he is the source of all things. And we have a very, very clear understanding from those statements, from those verses and many, many others that Jesus Christ is God. But as true as that is, there are also things that were true of Jesus that are not true of God. Let me get, give you just a few of them. Uh, first of all, John 1 and 18 says, no one has ever seen God. First Timothy 6 and 16, speaking of God, it says, whom no one has seen or can see. He's described elsewhere as being invisible. So the Bible tells us that no one can see God, but people saw Jesus so that's confusing. Who did they see? The second thing, James 1 and 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So here's a question. Was Jesus tempted? Well, Hebrews 4 and 15 gives us the answer. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have that occasion of Jesus spending 40 days and nights in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. So we know that Jesus was tempted. So the Bible tells us very clearly Jesus was tempted. So how do we reconcile that if Jesus was God? Third thing, we know that God is omniscient. That is, God knows everything there is to know. He's never surprised to discover something that he didn't know. He knows everything about everything. But interestingly, we're told of Jesus in Luke 2 and 52, it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Wow. So Jesus grew in wisdom. That's intellectually. He grew in stature. That's physically. He grew in favor with God. That's spiritually. And he grew in favor with men. That's socially. So Jesus had to grow in wisdom and understanding. And as he grew, he had to learn. Now, if God is omniscient, he knows everything there is to know. And Jesus is God. How come he had to learn things? 
Fourthly, 1 Timothy 6 and 16, who, speaking of God alone, is immortal. Okay, so God cannot die, and yet Jesus died on that first Good Friday. So if, if somebody met you on the street and asked you if you're a Christian, you say, yes, I am. Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Well, of course I do. But hang on, the Bible says that no one uh, has ever seen God, but people saw Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that God cannot be tempted, but the Bible also says that Jesus was tempted. The Bible says that God knows everything there is to know, and yet Jesus had to learn things. It says that God cannot die, yet the Bible tells us that Jesus died. So friends, how would you answer that person? Well, let me say there's actually only one answer you can give, and that's this, that Jesus Christ was a man. He was a real man. And we must put these two things together, and we've got to be very, very clear about this. Jesus Christ was never, ever less than God, but he lived his life as a man as though he were never more than a man. He was never less than God, but he lived his life on this earth as though he was never more than a man. And friends, the implications of this are huge, and it's why it's so important for us to understand this. And the implication is this. If Jesus Christ lived as though he were never more than a man, it actually means that the life of Jesus to us is a model. It's a demonstration to us of what normal human living is intended to be like. And you might say, well, Jesus was not the model of normality. He healed the sick miraculously. He cleansed lepers instantly. He even raised the dead. Now, all of that is true. But how much of those things did Jesus himself do? How many of his miracles did Jesus take credit for? Here's three things that Jesus said about himself. The first one in John 5 and 19, I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because what the father does, the son also does. John 5 and 30, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 8, 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So of all the works that Jesus did, of all the words that Jesus spoke, of all the miracles that Jesus performed, how much did Jesus himself claim to do? Nothing. Now, that's not my opinion. It's not anybody's opinion. It's actually what Jesus himself said about himself. I myself do nothing. So what about his miracles? What about the feeding of the 5,000? What about the healing of a blind man? What about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? Well, some people say, well, we know Jesus was God because he performed those miracles. But here's a warning. <laughs> Never use the miracles of Jesus to try to prove his deity. Because if you try to do that, then you'll have a problem with Moses because Moses performed miracles. You'll have a problem with Joshua because Joshua performed miracles. Peter performed miracles. Paul performed miracles. Stephen performed miracles. So what's the explanation? 
Well, Jesus' words in John 14 and 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And he's saying that the miracles are the evidence that my Father is living in me and working through me. Friends, Jesus makes it so clear that his works do not derive from him. He's saying, guys, don't congratulate me for such great teaching or performing a wonderful miracle. I take no credit. I myself do nothing. And the explanation is that it is my father doing the work because I am in my father and my father is in me. It's exactly what, John, what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Now let's look at John chapter 15. It's the same occasion with his disciples in the upper room on the night that he was crucified or before he was crucified. And having just said to his disciples, describing his relationship with his father, that I am in my father and my father is in me. It's my father uh, living in me who is doing his work. Well, here in John chapter 15, he says to his disciples uh, in verse five, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there it is. As much as Jesus said he could do without his father, he's the saying the same of us. And here's the point that Jesus is making. That the relationship, Jesus says, that I have as a man that I have with my father, it's my father in me. Uh, he's saying the words that I say to you, they're, they're not just my own. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. The point he's making to his disciples is this. That's the model. And as you abide in me, the way that I abide in my father, you will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing in the same way that I can do nothing apart from my father. And friends, if we're to live transformed lives, if we are to, 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 to know how to live in, in union with Jesus so that our lives can be restored to that level of normality from God's terms of reference, we need to understand how Jesus lived in union with his father. Now, now there is a big difference. Jesus did not have a corrupt bone in his body. He didn't have sinful nature, but you and I do. And it is an obstacle. It will, we will struggle with our corrupt nature until the day we die. And it is a hindrance, but it's the only major difference. Our relationship with Jesus is meant to be identical to his relationship with his father. Now, the disciples actually didn't fully understand that until after Pentecost, because up until the day of Pentecost, they thought that the Christian life was just following Jesus, second guessing the kinds of things that Jesus would do and just doing those kinds of things. And many Christians today live in exactly the same way. We're followers of Jesus. So we follow Jesus and we try to behave in the same kind of way that Jesus would behave. But friends, we got to know that, that Christian life is so much more than just kind of being disciplined to copy him. No, we've got to learn to abide in Jesus. We must learn to live with the knowledge that Jesus is in us. And the disciples finally discovered that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, was made available to every person willing to receive him. Acts 2 and 22, Peter addresses the crowd and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. Now, now, hang on. Wouldn't the message that you want to give be this? Men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth was God. 
but that's not what he says. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. And it's like Peter, the lights go on and Peter's going, I've got it. I finally understand it. Jesus Christ, although he was never less than God, lived his life as though he were never more than a man. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. He's going, I've got it. It was God through him, God through him. And what Jesus said to us in the upper room was this. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit without me. You can do nothing. But if you abide in me, it'll be Jesus through you, Christ through you, just as it was God through him. Now, how do we know that that's what Peter began to realize? Well, the very next event in Acts chapter three, verse one, uh, this is Peter uh, healing the crippled beggar. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he held him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Then Peter speaks to the onlookers in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? So in effect, he's saying, guys, why are you looking at me as though I did this? Please don't call me a miracle worker. And when you write the record of his, this event, please don't call it the Acts of the Apostles. This is not the act of an apostle. Don't look at us. Here's the explanation. Verses 13 to 16, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy, one and the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. And Peter's saying, I've got it. Listen, don't look at me. It is Christ through me, Christ in me. Just as it was for Jesus for the three years that we walked with him, we saw it. It was God through him, God through him. Now it's Jesus by his Holy Spirit through us. And friends, this becomes the whole theme of the book of Acts. And, you know, several times we have this record in the book of Acts where Paul returns from his missionary journeys. He gathers the church to give a report 
For example, in returning from Antioch, where they had set out from in Acts 14 and 27, he says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. And that's the report, always what God had done through them. Then in Jerusalem, in Acts 15 and, uh, and 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Acts 21 and 19, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 15 and 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me. And I hope you're picking up the theme. It's God through them, God through them, God through them. This is the reoccurring theme of the book of Acts. And friends, if we are to achieve anything of significance for God, if we are to bear fruit, if we are to live, live lives transformed, reflecting the truth of Jesus, we must understand that just as it was God through Christ, now, today, it is Christ through us. The truth is without Him, we can do nothing. And we must understand, in fact, our own weakness. And the key to discovering what God can do through your life is recognizing that without Him, you can do nothing. Friends, do you have that expectation of Him? Because what God truly requires of us, if we're gonna be people living transformed lives, is that we die to ourselves, die to our own resources and realize that every day it is letting Jesus by his Holy Spirit live in us and work through us. I hope that makes sense. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word today is so liberating for some. As we look at the life of Jesus and recognize how he lived his life in total submission to the will of his Father, in total dependence upon the power of God through him, Father, may that be to us a model of what true, normal Christian living is. Father, may we, may we just, uh, this, the seed of this word grow in us, this truth grow in us, that just as it was God working through Jesus, now by the Holy Spirit, it is Jesus working through us. That is how we live as transformed people. And I pray that you would make that increasingly real for us every moment of every day as we look to you, as we trust in you, and as we live lives open before you. God, transform me. Make me Jesus in me, working through me to bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.